Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and I am here in Blister headquarters with Luke Kappa, Sexy Luke. And you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at, what's the name of our website again? Blisterreview.com. Speaking of which, what's been going on at Blister? This week, we published our third conversation in our Mountain Town Economics series. It is another very good conversation. People should check that out. Today, which is Tuesday, August 31st, we launched a new monthly series on our Off the Couch podcast called Running Through the News. Very clever series title, if I do say so myself, where we're going to be kind of recapping what's been going on in the world of running with one of the smartest people I know and someone who I would definitely vote for president for, uh, Sanjay Rawal. So that's out. Uh, what else, Luke? Our bike editor, David Golay, he's been having some, well, not only some good conversations on the Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, but also he's been doing every Sunday, either a random topic of the week, a would you rather type post where he asks us some weird hypothetical question and, and we add our thoughts and then um, a lot of people are commenting on those. He recently made his case for why uh, bikes should not have internal cable routing, which I don't necessarily agree with, but it's, uh, there were some strong opinions on both sides there. Um, and I know I've been in touch with them and there are some, some interesting ones coming up. I think next week's, when this airs, next week's will be, would you rather have a bike with 10-year-old geometry and modern components or a bike with modern geometry and 10-year-old components. So wow. we'll have some thoughts from our reviewers and everyone else should uh, should chime in because it's, it's a tricky one. <laughs> <laughs> that is a tricky one. Let's see, this coming Monday, we're dropping another Reviewing the News episode with Cody Townsend. Uh, Cody and I just recorded that this morning. This is definitely the most I've ever yelled at Cody in a podcast. He tried to yell back, but he was making a pretty bad point. So he didn't like one of my analogies uh, that I've been using uh, specifically about coffee. And so you should listen. Very contentious. Very contentious. But actually, it was a really great episode. And Cody redeemed himself at the very end explaining why I shouldn't feel like a terrible person for liking the show Secession. Yeah, it's kind of inside baseball stuff. It'll make a lot more sense once you actually listen to the conversation, I promise. Anyway, that's a little bit of the stuff going on at Blister. But speaking of more stuff going on at Blister, Luke, I think we should say a word or two about our upcoming winter buyer's guide. Yep, it's the (laughs) most wonderful time of the year. Um Yeah, so if someone follows Blister very closely, we, or at least I haven't been posting a whole lot of ski stuff. I mean, it is summer here in Crested Butte, but that's mostly because I've been spending a lot of time on our winter buyer's guide, um, working very hard on it in what doesn't seem to be possible every year, but is happening every year. It's going to have more skis in it. Yeah. Um, including some skis from brands that haven't been in previous guides, um, which is cool. A bit more variety. 
um, our women's section is going to be bigger and separated into uh, sections that we think are going to make it more useful, which is great. Um, have had um, a bunch of help from Kristen Sinat, Kara uh, Williard, and Sasha Anastas, if I'm pronouncing your last sure. name right. Um, so we're really excited about that. And yeah, I will be spending way too much time in front of a computer until it goes live. So we won't be just, hold, we're not holding on to it and just waiting until we feel like releasing it. We are, we'll be working hard until it comes out and we'll have more updates on that um, in the coming weeks. This is the question you told me you did not want me to ask you. <laughs> he's, he's glaring at me. When do we think the print guide will be in like most people's hands? Barring, you know, we once we ship these, it is completely out of our control. Then you can credit or blame your, you know, shipping services, uh, et cetera. But I mean, yeah, if, if shipping went pretty well last year, um, and if we have a similarly good shipping experience, we're hoping that especially people in the States should be getting their print guides like mid to late October, I think, um, depending on, I've, Luke, on like I've put the, that out of my mind in terms of how long it took last year. But I think it was like, I don't know, a couple weeks from submitting it to the printer to, to certain people getting it. So we'll see, but I am, I'm just going to have, um, Justin, Bob go back and edit this and correct whatever I say. Um, the answer is this fall. The answer is mid October. Yeah. The answer is mid October, Luke. That's when the people will have it. All right. (laughs) All right. Somebody did write and was asking us like, Hey, when, you know, when can we expect to have the guide out? But it, I will confess it was slightly funny to me because they're like, Oh, I'm so used to getting the powder magazine buyer's guide. So can't wait to get yours. And I'm like, well, if that's what you're used to. We're, ours is going to be seriously lacking on race car analogies. <laughs> that's not where I was headed with that <laughs> statement, but you're right. Um, let's just say if you're used to that one, you're in for a, a very big surprise. Uh, plus, we're right about the things we write. And like Luke said, there's for better or for worse, far fewer race car analogies and probably puppy analogies. I remember something, there was some puppy analogies on the loose. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if puppy analogies are good for ski reviews, but now that I think of it, oh, it was puppy like, pictures would be good if we can yeah. fi- work that in next year. We should put more puppy pictures in. Maybe it was they were talking about like you're going to, if you love to, if you're the best skier on the mountain, you're going to love these puppies. That's like something, that's a very, puppies, using the word puppies in place of the word skis is a very, that's like a. These puppies sport fine-tuned suspension like a Porsche GT3. (laughs) These puppies boast words that only appear in bad gear reviews. Okay, cool. So mid-October, for sure, guaranteed on Luke's life. Yep. That's when you will have this Spire's Guide in your hands or, or, or we kill sexy Luke. Sure, sounds reasonable. Okay. What else are we doing here today? What what else do we need to cover? Is there anything else we need to cover before we get to the questions that have been submitted? I think that's about it. Other than, yeah, if you want to be the first to receive the buyer's guide mm. in digital and print form, 
the best way is to become a blister member and that is only a small part of the benefits of it um including like we're we're going over several uh listener questions today on this podcast but we usually cover questions that we think are going to be interesting and useful to most people on these podcasts but if you've got a question like look like here's the skis i like i'm looking for a new one in this category this year what should i get blister membership gets you personalized gear recommendations from us Uh, it also gets you discounts on a bunch of brands and if you use just one of those discounts it usually pays for itself um so yeah yeah if you're not a blister member there's there's a lot of good reasons to become one yeah and i should say too if you are a blister member and you are trying to pull the trigger on a piece of gear like asap well one if you aren't trying to pull the trigger on a piece of gear asap then please bear with us and let us put out our massive book but um, for the, I know some of you are like, hey, I'm really trying to, you know, I got to go A or B on this thing and I kind of need to do it right now. That's when it pays to be a Blister member because you can send us an email and we will get a response back to you. But, you know, I know sometimes we get like, when are you going to publish on the website? The update on this or that is like, well, if you're a Blister member, just send us a direct email. And again, we ask you to, you know, be <laughs> mindful of the big book we're putting out. Um, but we can get you an answer on a question if you like need to make a call now. Yeah. For, to clarify for blister members on our pay on our website under become a blister member, there's a tab that says blister member clubhouse. That's where you'll find all your information, including how to take advantage of the discounts and a specific form that you use to send in questions. Uh, it helps us organize them. Um, and there's directions on there, but yeah, that's, that's a good point there. Our full reviews take a lot of time to publish, um, in part just because of the writing and editing and we need to get photos for them. Um, so there are definitely some products out there where we've spent a good chunk of time on it or at least a few days, but we don't have what we need to publish the full review. Blister members can send us a note and get us, uh, our thoughts on those. Nice. Where are we going? All right. Let's get to some questions. Um, The first one is from one of the Joes that submitted uh, questions, and it's a pretty basic slash very big question. What's your favorite ski ever and why? If it's discontinued, is there hope for it coming back? You want to kick this one off? I'll kick this one off. And it's, there are a lot of contenders, but for me, the ski that has yet to be eclipsed by something else just in terms of how different and cool it felt and how well it worked for my preferences is still the rising all black ops gamer which was previously the black ops 118 um it hasn't been changed or discontinued yet and i think we've said before that rising all should not change it or they would have some problems dude i literally threatened to murder yeah, jake stevens yeah, for you it's on video <laughs> it's on youtube if anything happens to jake well if they change that ski and then anything happens to jake i'm definitely going to prison yeah so you are welcome i did for, that for you yeah fortunately there is a pair of unmounted skis that will probably disappear from here <laughs> at some point um but yeah that's my answer it's a solid answer. Um, I mean, I'm actually still looking at my favorite ski of all time. 
because uh, we have it here in HQ. And this is a pair of 2010-2011 Moment Bibbies, uh, the Bibby Pro. And, you know, we did have that ski brought back as the Blister Pro when Moment changed it several years ago. That ski is here as well. But then, you know, our dear friends at Moment lightened up the ski. You may have heard about that in a previous Gear 30 rant or two. For the record, Luke and Sam Shaheen actually like the lighter version of that ski. I like the original version of that ski. We have been told multiple times that that ski will be sort of evolving into a version that is closer to that OG Blister Pro. And and we are, you know, happily and patiently waiting. So that's kind of my, I mean, the old one here in the room, that's definitely my answer. This updated version of the Blister Pro might again be my answer. Till that happens, the Black Ops 118 is a ski I do really, really like. But I think we should also throw out an answer for something that is narrower than 118 underfoot. Do you have something in the like 98 to 102 range that if you're like, let's put it this way, this is your ski for the next 10 years, what would you... And I, I won't say it had like the same pair. Like if you blow it up, mm-hmm. you could go get another one. But like, you know, what would you A go A big with? part of me wants to say the line blade oh just because it's really, really hard to not have fun on that ski. It's not like it's not a great ski for skiing the steeps and CV, but I ended up spending a lot more time on it this past season and it proved to be more versatile than I expected. So that's, that's, I mean, that's another contender for my favorite ski ever right now. But if I, if I was going for versatility, I'm sure I'm forgetting some skis, but I'd probably go with the Fisher Ranger 102. It's not like the most spectacular in any specific way, but it's, you can ski it pretty hard. It still performs well when you mount it closer to center, feels all right in the air, carves well, it's poppy. So yeah, I'd be missing a lot of skis, but I'd, I'd, I'd have a hard time not having a good time on that ski yeah. in a very different way than, I, than the blade. But The blade is a really weird answer. The Ranger 102 FR, I was also thinking about that ski for what it's worth. Um, really like that ski. Still really like the Nordica Enforcer 104, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I have the same, I mean, this question, there's a weightiness to it. And it's like, what's the, if we're in like magnum opus kind of territory, not the, not the actual, actual ski that yeah. was made. <laughs> um, anyway, I think we've, we've answered the question. Yeah. And since you added another question, that's why we can't limit these to 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we came in with a goal, 30 minute conversation. No chance. I told <laughs> Justin Bob this and he just was like, that's absolutely not happening. <laughs> anyway. All right. Where are we going? Next question is from Ryan. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase a bit here, but basically asking what the best way is to communicate with a boot fitter so that you end up with a boot that not only fits well, but matches what you're looking for in terms of fit and performance and comfort. 
Yeah. Uh, he's asked, how do you guys recommend going about describing the issues you're having with a boot and help the fitter do their job? Okay. I think this is actually a somewhat complicated answer, but so if I'm going to try to provide some of the most helpful information, and I'm going to assume here, like maybe you've never been to a boot fitter before, because I'd rather err on the side of that as opposed to like somebody who is asking an extremely sophisticated question here about, I've had tons of boot work done, you know, from that point of view. So we're, we're going to, I'm going to err toward like I've maybe never had boot work done. And so we'll, we'll keep it sort of on the more basic side. Um, one, a, a complaint we hear from a lot of boot fitters is that when people shove their feet into ski boots, if you quickly start complaining that the boot is too tight in the store, and so you're kind of strongly suggesting or insisting that you go up in size, that's something I would caution against. Like, again, ski boot liners do pack out, and we would rather have people erring on the side of a boot starting out too tight or too snug as opposed to being too big and too roomy. Once a ski boot is too big and too roomy, you really you you really can do very little about it in an effective way to get to a correct size. So I'd say if that thing is feeling pretty intense in the store, I'd still again, it shouldn't be like murdering your feet, but I would probably start that way. Just to make sure we're off to the proper start here, Luke, do you agree with that? I mean, given that God clearly hates, you know, hates you, so he gave you messed up feet? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd agree in that that's what I hear from a lot of boot fitters, especially for people who are getting maybe their first pair of boots fit to their feet is, I mean, ski boots feel they're uncomfortable things and they never feel as good as you would probably expect them to unless you've spent a lot of time in them. Um, but that being said, as someone who very often ends up with boots that are too tight in a particular area, my general recommendation is just trying to be as specific and honest and frank as possible. Um, when I'm out reviewing skis or boots or any product really, um, a lot of times I'll take out my phone and add some notes because it's easy to forget certain things. Like if you write down like, Hey, I was today, it was really firm, uh, really punishing sort of conditions. And the boot was hurting a lot when I was skiing bumps, but it wasn't really hurting when I was skiing groomers or it was fine at the beginning of the day, hurt a lot at the end of the day, just more data I think would be useful. Cause I think a lot of people, um, a lot of boot fitters probably want more specific information from the people they're fitting. Um, and I mean, part of that, like you can't, if you've never skied in a ski boot and then you go to a boot fitter, you obviously don't have any data to use, but I think just being as specific as possible helps. And then being honest with yourself and the boot fitter helps a lot. Cause like if you go in and you're like, well, I, I want to ski a lot of steep off piece stuff, but in the back of your mind, like, well, I'm probably going to ski groomers like 80% of the time, or like, I'm probably going to spend 80% of the time at my local resort in the Midwest and do a couple days out West. Um, being, 
yeah, just frank and honest with yourself and the boot fitter is definitely going to lead to a better fitting and performing boot rather than either for some reason being facetious or like being uh, excessively optimistic about what you're going to do or something like that. Yeah. And the, the specific question that came in, I don't know. Did you read this part? The Ryan at, uh, said, the last pair of boots I had recommended and fit by a professional fitter was the Solomon S-Max. They've simply been too aggressive a fit to be comfortable for more than an hour on the hill. Now, here's one thing where uh, one place where I think we can help, as in where bl our blister reviews can help, because we always start our boot reviews by saying, like, go to a professional boot fitter. Like, if, you know, whatever we have to say about the boot, if that thing doesn't fit your foot, then none of this matters. But what our reviews can do is help you identify where certain boots live on the spectrum from like a low volume fit to a high volume fit. And that S-Max is on the low end of the low volume range, right? Mm -hmm. So now at least you have this data point, Ryan. So if it's like, if that, if we now know that that S-Max is too low volume for your liking, then I think, you know, at least for this next round, you can look at our reviews or become a Blister member and send us an email and we can help you locate, you know, whether you should be in a, a higher volume LV boot or going into a mid volume boot, et cetera. So the other question I have is, those S maxes are heat moldable. And I don't know if Ryan had them molded or not. Or punched or any other yeah. method. Um, yeah, it's a tricky one. And like in the end, if you're working with a not very experienced boot fitter, no matter how much data you give them, you might still end up in a poor fitting boot. Um, so if you're near one of our recommended shops, that's a great place to start. But um, that's another thing. And that's something that um, is, I mean, kind of out of your control. And the best thing that you can do is get some thoughts from people around and see what they suggest for a boot fitter. Yeah. Okay. But bottom line, life is pain. Boots never fit well. <laughs> um, that's my take. <laughs> I mean, unless the good Lord smiled upon you, yeah, and your foot is shaped like a 98-millimeter last for 90% of the brands. Yep. Sorry, Luke. <laughs> Moving on. All right. Uh, next question. This is from Eric. Um, more of a general question about how we think about when looking at new skis, balancing accessibility versus uh, maybe going with a ski that's more demanding, but that might help you improve your skiing technique um, and experience level, like sacrificing some intuitiveness in favor of a more demanding ski that will eventually make you a more technically sound skier. Um, how do you think about, or like, for someone who's, yeah, maybe starting on a easier, uh, more forgiving ski and is looking at their next ski, how do you think about that? What are the pros and cons um, or any particular thoughts on that? Let's go for a more concise restatement of this question. What do you take it as the primary question being asked here? 
I think basically he's asking for thoughts on when looking at a new ski and having been on a ski that's on the more forgiving, easier going side of things, what are the kind of upsides and downsides of going with something that's going to be a little bit more difficult to ski, but that has the potential to let you improve a bit more versus staying on something that's easier to ski when you're not looking to push it harder, you're off your game, but that might hold you back when you're looking to ski harder and improve your technique. Yeah. I mean, my first thought on this is there are too many incredible athletes out there skiing all types of terrain with incredibly good technique on like some of the softest skis out there. I would resist a little bit the suggestion that like a softer, more forgiving ski is inherently more of a beginner, say beginner only ski. There's just, there's too much evidence just in FWT comps, right? To the contrary there. So I think it kind of depends on like, I don't know, if you just happen to love that softer, more playful ski, I think you can continue to improve technique while sort of learning how to ski those skis better and better. I'm going to pause on that. Agree or disagree? Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, in my mind, people can adapt to skis, but the flip side of that coin is that you will your technique will adapt to yeah. the ski you're on. Yep. So if you're looking at a new ski and you're like, it's it's not even about like stability or something. It's like, I want to learn how to carve a proper turn better. That's where yep. it's going to make sense to probably go with something with a more uh, traditional rearward mount point, probably a bit stiffer. Um, consider the side cut numbers and rocker profile and all that. Um but yeah, there are, I mean, there are certain skis we have that are, yeah, either not, yeah, usually not very stiff, but you can ski them quite hard. Like the Black Ops 118 is not a super stiff ski. It's stiff in the middle, but the ends are quite soft. But it's heavy. But it's which heavy. We talk about a lot. So yeah. Not and so that stiff. weight's another thing. And like you mentioned, Free Ride World Tour skiers, there's those folks who are on really light skis yep. and they know how to ski them yep. way better than I ever will on the heaviest ski out yep. there. So yeah, I think I think it's mostly about what what you want from this ski. Um, and this person, Eric, he said he was on currently on a J skis all play and was thinking about um, developing, as he said, more core skiing ability. Um, and the all play is a ski with a pretty centered mount point. It's pretty soft. Um, and I think, yeah, if you're looking to get better at carving or get more kind of traditional quote, proper technique and moguls or something, yeah, going with something a little bit, um, more directional and stiffer would probably help. And especially it's easier if you have a quiver, cause then yeah. you can be like, okay, today I want to focus on my technique and it's, um, yeah, more oriented towards that. I can take out this more demanding ski. And the other days I can take out the easier one. As far as if we're talking about like a one ski quiver, then he asked about how we incorporate this into our recommendations. That's where I just have a conversation with someone about like their previous skis, what they liked, did not like. A lot of times they're like, 
we have people coming from an easier ski and they're like, I really like it in bumps and trees. But recently I've been finding that it's kind of hard to control now that I'm skiing faster. And that's where it's a pretty obvious choice. Like, yeah, something heavier and, and or stiffer is going to be better for you. It'll take a bit of getting used to. Um, but if you're at the point where you know you want something that's going to be better at the upper end of, of speeds, it's, it's probably a safe bet to go with a slightly more demanding ski. And it depends person to person, like some, there's a whole range on Mm -hmm. the demanding versus easy spectrum. Um, so again, it's about knowing what you want. Yeah. And I actually just had a phone conversation, um, with a blister premier member shout out to Kevin and we were actually talking a, a, about a pretty similar question. And what was so great about where Kevin was coming from is he was very clear about what he was looking to do. And he, the conversation, well, part of the conversation went like this. He's like, I'm really starting to learn how fun groomers can be and what it, you know, and really really carving a ski hard like what that feels like and he, it is cool because kevin's been skiing a while and he this is kind of like this new world that he knows can be like a really cool thing that frankly you won't appreciate as much if you don't have a certain kind of technique etc and so kevin's question was what ski is going to help me really learn sort of that art of the carve because there are days, especially at the beginning of the season or end of the season where he's going to be spending maybe his entire day on the groomers. And, you know, so that was a question, but he was like, I kind of think if I really can dial this in on the right ski, if, and when I am moving up to wider skis, that technique I've learned may be able to travel with me as we continue up in width, which I agree with. Wider skis are not going to be, in most cases, as easy to carve as like a 72 or 78 millimeter wide ski. So anyway, that was the conversation we had. And then, you know, there are a bunch of these things. And given how aggressive someone currently is, given how big and heavy they currently are, you know, this is where it really, really helps to have the one-on-one conversation. And so I ruled out a number of 70-something millimeter wide skis, given more specific details that Kevin was talking about in terms of his priorities. And we whittled it down to like basically three skis that I thought he should check out, ironically, two of which are discontinued. And I was like, I think if you can find one of these, get them. And if if you can't, then here's some of the, you know, here's a current model that I would go with. But anyway, that's that's kind of what we do. I, I don't, I, I the last thing I'll say, I guess, on this is, One thing I would get clear on is you can be, I think, on a pretty heavy, pretty stiff front side carver and be okay even if you only have like intermediate technique if you're going to stay on groomers. 
if you think you're going to take that ski into moguls and you're only at like an intermediate level, I would quickly try to talk you out of doing that because I still think that true front side carvers are not your friend in moguls, not until you have very advanced technique. And I think this is still something that people are confused about. They see a ski, a skinny ski with a lot of side cut, and they assume that ski is going to be a great carver and a great mogul ski. And I'm going to continue to say that's not true. Not until you have very advanced technique and can actually carve that skinny ski with a lot of side cut through moguls. But even then, like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to ski a skinny ski with a ton of side cut and moguls ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think kind of off the original question at this point, but on the topic of like intermediate skiing, stiff, heavy carvers, I think the one thing you'd want to keep in mind if you're looking for a carving specific ski is while, yeah, you're probably not going to like, it's not going to be scary to ski those skis on groomers. You also want to think about what sort of carving you like to do. Like, do you like to make big GS turns or at speed? Yeah. Or are you like spending a lot of time on greens and blues and want to make the most of that and be able to like really lay it over at slower speeds. So just, just wanted to point that out. Okay. All right. This one is an interesting and kind of tricky one from Travis. Um, What is the impact of the mass of a ski relative to width? Um, for an example, he was comparing two Dinafit skis, both around a kilo that one's 74 millimeters underfoot, one is 80 millimeters underfoot. Um, and at least for that comparison, when you're only comparing, like the skis are only different in half a centimeter. I think that be, the, I don't think there's a huge, uh, point to be drawn from, them both weighing the same and how different they're going to feel based on that in that small of a range, I would say differences in side cut flex pattern rocker profile are going to be much more noticeable, but it is interesting to think about like the ski. I was actually just talking to a member about this, talking about the previous generation blizzard Brahma. Um, that ski is not wildly heavy. It's around 2000 grams for the 180 centimeter length, but it feels like it has really good suspension and feels smooth. Whereas if we took a, like I'm looking at right now, the Elan Ripstick 116, a wide, much wider powder ski weighs about the same as a Brahma in a 193 or whatever mm-hmm. length we have. And that ski does not feel very damp on firm conditions. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't think too much about it if we're comparing a few millimeters, but narrower skis, I would say, I don't know how to put this eloquently, a 2000 gram 88 millimeter underfoot ski is going to feel more damp and more uh, uh, smoother on rough conditions than a 2000 gram 120 millimeter wide ski. Well, for sure. So we're just talking about mass to surface area, Mm -hmm. really. Um, But I'm confused a little bit by Travis's question Um, because his last sentence says, I'm a resort skiing masochist who wants a ski that can rip groomers at the lowest weight. So is this, at first I saw this question and thought he was talking about, he was somebody who was skinning uphill and then 
just wants to rip groomers down. Is that right? Or are we talking about a dedicated inbound ski? I'm assuming that it, since he's look the skis he listed were from the Dinafit Blacklight yeah. series, um, which is very much a, a touring ski. Yeah. So I'm assuming that's the case, skinning uphill and then uh, skiing down groomers. Um, and yeah, in that case, he said, I don't mind going up to around 1300 grams per ski. We don't have a whole lot of experience in uh, with skis below that uh, weight limit. Yeah. So, I mean, if they truly need to rip groomers, which that definition varies a lot person to person like the solomon mountain explorer 95 and the majesty super wolf are i think the some of the lightest skis i've tried in that class and yeah if if we're talking early morning corduroy when no one else has been skiing it those skis can in my opinion rip groomers but they also weigh about uh 1400 to 1500 grams you know in a 184 um, he's talking about 172 we don't have time yet on the new Headcore 87. Yeah, not yet. We got that uh, pretty late in the yeah. season last year. Do you know what that's coming in weight-wise? Yeah, so the new Core 87, it's it's not uh, wildly light for its size. Our 184 centimeter length is about 17, okay. 1,740 grams. So definitely, it's heavier than the okay. touring-specific skis out there. The other ski that comes to mind would be the... Blizzard 0G95. But, I mean, here's my whole thing. Rip groomers, we have talked about this. If the lighter you go on the ski, the cleaner that corduroy better be. It's mm-hmm. a good rhyme. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I, I, I mean, if, if you truly mean ripping groomers, because, um, I mean, we've had to, do this and it's terrifying you know when you're really laid over on a lightweight ski again there's a reason why race skis are the opposite of light so i realize that you're talking about a compromise here and it's a fair one you want to skin up a hill first and then quote unquote rip a groomer but I just think people need to be realistic on the compromises here. And it's one thing with going with a really light backcountry ski where you're going uphill and now you're going to come down not on firm corduroy, but maybe in pretty nice soft spring corn or some fresh snow. There, I think a lightweight backcountry ski can actually perform better let's take let's go to 1300 grams ski like that can actually feel pretty good but now you're talking about getting a ski on edge if that's what we mean here by ripping groomers and really finishing turns strong and initiating turns well and not becoming terrifying noodles at speed on firm morning corduroy like Again, the lower angle, the lower angle those groomers, the better you'll be. But the steeper and firmer that groomer is, your your one kilo uh, weight that you threw out, like good luck. Yeah, I'm gonna let you ski that thing, and uh, I'll get, I'll call the ambulance. Yeah, well, Travis said one kilo is just a reference point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in my in my experience, like I've I during the winter when we're not wildly busy, I'll, I'll usually try and get out every once in a while to skin before the lifts open. And there's a very, uh, notable, uh, 
crew that does that every day at Crested Butte is pretty popular. And a lot of people are on really light setups. Yep. And we're not just talking about really light skis, but also super minimal bindings, yes. super soft, lightweight boots. And most people are making very controlled, yes. tight turns that are usually like kind of releasing the ski halfway through. They're not they're not trying to drag their hip by any means. Yep. And they seem totally comfortable. So if you're doing that, yeah, it's easily easily possible to do that on a very lightweight setup because yep. it is a pretty consistent condition. But when I go up there, I, I tend to want to try and ski how I do on alpine setups, which I'm not, I'm not like straight lining it. That would defeat the purpose of skinning uphill because it's over so fast. But yeah, it's it's all about what you realistically want to be able to do on this setup and then what compromises you're going to be able to willing to make to accomplish that. In my mind, the Line Sakana is still the best on-piste touring ski out there because <laughs> it makes Mellow Groomers super fun. Mm. And it's the 174 is like 1,750 grams, so not stupid heavy. And at least from my perspective, if I'm skinning on the resort, it's usually mostly for the exercise. Um, so I'm getting more exercise per lap with a heavier setup. So that's another way to think about it. <laughs> That's that's how he maintains his sexy Luke status. Yeah. All right. Next question is from Joe. I'm going to try and abbreviate this a bit. Uh, so he's talking about sustainability, seeing brands like Wonder provide proof, proof of concept for innovative and more sustainable materials. But who out of the big brands do you foresee being a leader in sustainable materials innovation? Who has the capacity and influence to apply these changes at scale? And what are some of the things that we as consumers should be demanding of ski manufacturers in terms of accountability and commitment to sustainability? Pretty good questions. I'm not sure I have clear, correct answers to really any of them, um, but let's, let's kind of work through these. So of the big brands, who do we foresee being a leader in sustainable materials innovation who you going with as your let's just say as your guests luke because right now like today i'm not sure that we'd be ready to give that mantle to any big brand yeah i mean frankly the the bar is kind of low at this point like like we talked about previously there hasn't been a huge focus on the hard goods side given that rosignol is the first one that comes to mind because i think starting either 2021 or 1920, um, all their wood cores were uh, certified to be from sustainable forests. They've been using partially recycled top sheets and par partially or fully recycled edge materials. So they've been making um, a point to do that. And maybe they were doing it before, but they've been emphasizing it now. Um, so purely on that, they're the ones right now who I'd hope would do even more on that side. Um, but yeah, like you, I don't think there's a super clear and obvious answer from the bigger brands right now. That said, I mean, and I, you know, Joe is kind of referencing this in that blister summit panel session on ski design, all of the brands were like, yes, this is a trend that we think is a good trend and that we want to see more, focus on and more, you know, movement on. So I think that is a positive. 
man, I've just been so immersed in these conversations recently. I mean, again, the the podcast we put up Monday where we were talking about (laughs) climate change and affordable housing and managing mega fires and the conversation I had today with Cody, where we're looking at other technologies to deal uh, with climate change and carbon capture technologies and the rest. I mean, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to put words in Joe's mouth here. I know Joe specifically asked about more sustainable materials, but I want to think about bang for our buck here. And I think that gets into really taking a very holistic approach like to things like packaging and things like shipping and transportation. And these, you know, it's one thing to like, what are you making your core out of? And yeah, you know, props to Wonder Alpine for the work they're doing there. So I I think we should keep trying to make improvements on a materials side of, of view, but I sure hope these companies are really thinking about this in all kinds of different manners, right? Um, because I think that's just the way we all need to think. We all need to think and we all need to be operating. And if you and I can be using public transportation more, great. If we can be thinking about ways to lessen impacts in every aspect of our life, you know, whether it's our diet and the food we're consuming. Um, I guess that's my way of saying, I, sh- I I guess that's my way of saying I could see a company, maybe they aren't on the forefront from a materials point of view when it comes to their skis, but because they are making adjustments in other aspects of production, the production process or transportation or packaging and the rest, they might be able to actually have a more significant impact. So again, not trying to minimize the material stuff, but I do hope we're thinking well about the big, big picture. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. I think in the grand scheme of things, ski industry is not it's not the top uh emitter in the whole world but yeah i think a holistic approach makes a lot of sense and that's what i'd like to see and also just i think transparency in terms not only in terms of ski construction which as a side note makes my life a lot easier because then we actually know what we need to include in our specs but uh also yeah like where where are they getting the materials where is it made um what's the shipping process like all of that um, would be something that I would like to see from more manufacturers. Yeah. And I do also, in case it sounds like I just minimized innovations in sustainable materials, I will say as consumers care more and more about where and how your products are being made, companies I think are going to be appropriately rewarded for taking steps forward, right? For moving the needle, because I think more people do care about this stuff. So I think we are at a point right now where unlike 10 years ago, it seemed like ski manufacturers, like half of them didn't know how to make a good rocker profile. And they were just throwing darts at a dartboard in the dark. Now, I think as some of 
as as more manufacturers have figured out things like side cut and rocker profiles and the rest, I do think this is the next frontier. Like, well, what's what are your manufacturing processes like? What kinds of materials are you using? And I'm fine with the idea that if companies are lagging on that front, then their competitors who are innovating and truly doing meaningful truly making meaningful advancements there will be rewarded with consumer dollars so i think that's the right kind of like consumer pressure um on a much more simple note also from joe what are your personal favorite ski graphics on the market today and what about of all time oh man you're the guy we need sam shaheen here who doesn't actually care about skis he only (laughs) cares about how things look so i'm sure he'd have a you know super compelling answer to this. I so only care about ski performance. I don't even notice top sheets. It's definitely not true. Um, what, what's your answer, Luke? Currently, and especially for the past few years, Moment has consistently made my favorite graphics. I think for the 21-22 season, it's a close call between the Deathwish 104 and the Wildcat Tour which are both very different graphics, but um, I think it's Max Lewis Miller, I believe is the the main graphic designer for their stuff. And I think he does a really good job every year. Um, so it'd be, yeah, a tie between those for this year. I'd like to make a joke about how my favorite graphic will be whatever graphic is on the Blister Pro when it gets back to the weight it should be at. Um, but otherwise, I will go with for now the Forefront Raven. I like the whole, I like what Forefront has going on with their Renegade and and Raven. Um, but we'll go with the Raven. In terms of my all-time favorite graphic, I think I would go with, I get these names a little bit confused, but I believe the official title, title was Mr. Pollard's Opus. Mm usually just referred to as the opus. And did that come out both in a, there was a black background and also a white? I only remember a white, but I'm certain I there was wasn't a black. super keyed into the top sheet world at that time. Yeah. Um, but frankly, either the black or the white background, but that might be my favorite. Funny because that's not at all like my style mm-hmm. of ski. Um, but that graphic uh, it was beautiful. Yeah. As far as all, like I've noticed that my, like I get excited about graphics when I see them for the first time. And then after that, there are very few that like stick in my mind, but the, there are a few versions of the Owen three P cease and desist that I really, really like. Good liked. call. Good call. One that the story of that ski is just funny. Um, how it got its name. And yeah, I think it was like the, I want to say the 1819 one, it was mostly red and black with like skeletons on it. And then there was one back in, I want to say 2014 that had like a, I want to say like a dragon on it or something. But yeah, that's, especially if we're talking about series, like that's up there with the moment Bibby slash Wildcat series in terms of graphics uh, over many years. All right. Well, I think that is going to end this edition of your questions or your gear questions. I don't know what the official title is of these these episodes we do. Probably your gear questions. I don't know. Unless you start asking about Luke's new conditioner. We did forget to ask, 
when I was sound checking you today, I asked if you have any updates on you know your diet, and you said not really, but I have been experimenting quite a bit with caffeine delivery systems. Yeah, this is when we're working on the buyer's guide. Usually, I'm just like I make uh, enough coffee to fill my thermos in the morning, and then I'm good. But this is the time of year when you're working like, I mean, at times probably 14 hour days, seven days a week. Um, so when you're doing uh, 12 plus 14 ish hours a day, work days, seven days a week, uh, it's the time of year where I usually want to get some caffeine in my body late in the day. So I've, I take that as an opportunity to try all sorts of mostly energy drinks and i'm kind of ashamed to say that like i generally really like the grossly artificial taste of most energy drinks like i still like monster um yeah anyway (laughs) uh recently tried uh elevate bike shop in the elevation hotel for some reason started stocking a 300 milligram caffeine variant of rockstar energy drink it's sour apple flavor um and that's the first thing i've had in a while that like i actually noticed the caffeine (laughs) usually it's just like i like stay awake um and side note the weird thing is i'm not someone who gets like headaches if they don't have caffeine Hmm. like especially when i leave town like i won't have any caffeine and i'm fine but it's more of like a performance boost um so anyways i one of my friends recommended that if i if I tried that super caffeinated rock star, I should try bang energy drinks, which I had only ever wow. known as like a meme. Like people make fun of them. Cause I think it's mostly like YouTubers and video game, uh, vloggers that are sponsored by them and push them. But I've been impressed. <laughs> like their thing is that, well, that also has 300 milligrams of caffeine, but their claim, like, I think a lot of, companies is that like you don't get a crash and it's more than just caffeine and at least based on my first try of one of the million flavors they apparently have uh it was it was solid it was i think the closest thing i've found that's uh it's probably the best legal thing i've used to uh increase productivity (laughs) wow okay which maybe questions like should it be legal (laughs) But yeah, um, and I'm going to try one, another one and see if that was just a a fluke um, being the first time. But yeah. Well, I think I just figured out the title for this episode. We're going with your questions slash Luke's cry for help. (laughs) Holy cow, that got dark. But like I said, like I don't have like serious, like I know people like even my mom, she, she drinks like a couple cups of coffee a day and she will get like headaches if she doesn't have caffeine and that's never happened to me and like i still wake up feeling pretty like normal and awake but it's more like either a a placebo effect sometimes where it's just like all right like i had my coffee now i can start working but yeah that's that's uh the latest part of my food and diet saga that was seriously like a dark story that just it kind of started happy and then we just ended up in a bad place i I wasn't feeling like i was in a bad place after i drank that bang energy (laughs) ladies and gentlemen um please please become a blister member and buy our buyer's guide so that when we send luke off to caffeine anonymous uh 
I don't know what the alcoholics anonymous version is, but like you're clearly we're going to need to institutionalize you at some point. I'm guessing in like four or five weeks. I'd be curious to see maybe if we get like 10,000 subscribers or something. We do a week of you and I both not on caffeine of oh any sort. God. I bet I would do better than you. I bet you would do better than me too. I, this is a terrifying... So why, why am I the one who's having a cry for help? Well, because you're getting into like, and then monster sour apple is pretty delicious. And then you're like, and then bang. And I'm like, this is like, and then I, after cocaine, I got into crack. <laughs> and then... Oh, that'll be the next episode. <laughs> yeah. And then bath salts have really been my new thing. And yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, that sounds like a terrible idea that me and you... I wouldn't wouldn't want to interact with you if you weren't allowed to have caffeine. No, you would not. But you wouldn't even notice if I didn't have caffeine. Chill Luke. Chill sexy Luke. All right. um, Wow. That was... I was not expecting that. And um, on that note, let's shift gears and wrap up this episode. Luke, weird going from that to a cry from help to... (laughs) what you're celebrating this week, but what do you have for us? Uh, I am celebrating that I will not be homeless this fall. Mm. Um, and what was pretty fitting, we've been doing all these podcasts on uh, mountain town economics and uh, affordable housing and the shortage and everything. Anyway, our, the place we're currently in, which we loved, um, the owner sold it uh, very recently. And while that sucks, fortunately the property management company that, uh, manages that unit has been super helpful. Um, right now there's an extremely high demand for, uh, rentals for, uh, long-term rentals in particular. And so a lot of places that go on the market have like 30 applicants right away. Our property management company, uh, let us get essentially first dibs on a unit that uh, is a great location. It's definitely smaller, um, but we're pretty psyched on it. And it is a like a legit A-frame house with the roof going all the way to the, the floor, basically, uh, which I now realize why people don't really make those anymore because it's a very inefficient way to create interior space. But the upside is I think I'm going to have a side business this winter of uh, charging Instagram influencers to take pictures in front of it because mm. A-frames are huge, I think, yeah. still. And the roof is like Smurf blue. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll just I'll just sit out there with my camera with a sign and see how much I can charge people for that. You're like one photo and one bang, whatever it's called. Yeah, or... Well, that at that point, we won't be doing the buyer's guide, so it'll be like six-pack of PBR. Okay. I guess that's what we're celebrating this week. I am not having any whistle pig currently because I'm about to go sneak a workout in. But uh, this evening, when I wrap things up, we'll go, we'll go with a little 12-year. Neat. And uh, I will raise a glass to Luke having a place to live. And, I mean, you know... You could like you could like live at my place, but I think that would create other difficulties. Your coffee situation would be good. Yeah. I wouldn't let you have bang whatever in, <laughs> in the fridge. That would just keep getting thrown away. But um so yeah, probably this is probably the best situation for for all involved. Yeah. Yeah. Um and that 
then, ladies and gentlemen, brings us to the end of this edition of Gear 30. Um, I guess if you really do want to see Luke and me do a one-week experiment of zero caffeine, I don't know, man. We, we have stuff that we owe the people in terms of videos. Like, we, we own Telemark videos. We owe snowboard videos, which now with my shoulder, I couldn't be more terrified of snowboarding. Oh, I'm psyched on the snowboarding one. You know, so we have not forgotten. Uh, we have not forgotten about this. And then last year with COVID, everything was a mess, like trying to make all this stuff happen. And we were launching a blister summit. But um, I guess if you really want to see the no caffeine week, which might actually kill me, um, you can leave us five stars and say you 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 want to see this. Um, I don't know that you do, though. But anyway, other than that... Um, yeah, we told you uh, there's a great Blister podcast to check out from this past Monday, a good one with Cody dropping this coming Monday. We got a lot of great stuff going up on the website. David Golay has been killing it uh, on the bike side of things. And um, so a lot going on around here, cooking up another big winter buyer's guide for you all and uh, some new stuff, big, big stuff that I hope to be announcing. Eh, give us like... Give us like four weeks, but uh, yeah, other other big initiatives around here that I look forward to sharing with you all soon. So yeah, that's the state of the union. And uh, on that note, take care, everybody. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon.